Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to the Film Revere Podcast, episode number 19. This week brought to you by Audible. I'm your host, Zach Hamilton. My guest for this episode is actor Alam Orion. Alam provided his voice talents for the dubbing of the hit Israeli series Fauda. He has also starred in Code Black, NCIS Los Angeles, and Shooter the Series. More recently, Alam can be seen as Wilhelm Bruca in Stargate Origins. So please stay tuned as we will now be taking a quick commercial break. All right, guys and gals, are you like me and want something more than music to listen to during your morning commute? Maybe you want to start reading more, but don't have the time to sit down and open a book. Well, for people on the go, there's Audible. Audible offers over 180,000 audiobooks to listen to on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, Audible is giving Film Revere podcast listeners a slamming deal. Go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast for a free 30-day trial, and more importantly, get a free audiobook. Once again, go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. Thanks again to Audible for their support, and thank you listeners. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the Film Revere Podcast, Alem. Thank you for having me. So before getting into your role in Fauda and Stargate Origins, I'd love to kind of dive into your backstory a bit. I'm curious, where did you spend your childhood years? So, you know, I I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, but uh, at a very young age, my parents uh, went back to Israel. So I spent my uh, childhood in Israel. Wow. And how was that experience for you? Well, you know, Israel is a very interesting country. It was a very, uh, on the one hand, very uh, safe and sheltered and good childhood. But on the other hand, this is a country that deals every few years deals with a major crisis in terms of its uh, national security. So I even remember myself several wars and uh, you know having to run to shelter because of air air raid air raid and um, and then you know serving in the army myself. So it's oh, there's always that side of life that kind of uh, looms over everything else you do. So people. You know, people that try to have a normal life, you know, and fall in love and have a career and and have fun and raise families. But there's always this dark thing looming because every few years there's some a war or some attacks or some terror attacks or something going on. So it's, uh, yeah. Well, it's such a completely different existence than what you probably would have had in Ohio. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely eye-opening, though. I think you'd be less of a sheep, I guess, in, in other terms, where it's like, at least you understand like what's going on versus like, well, I hear about that stuff instead of actually experiencing it firsthand like that, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, the media here, what we hear about Israel and the conflict, is, it's very distorted. I mean, it's, it's a very, it's it's a sad, terrible conflict and both sides are in a way to blame and both sides suffer, but uh, everything is completely distorted in the media. And, you know, I have a lot of friends that they're like really like, you know, left wing and they like hate Israel and, and, you know, look what Israel is doing to the poor Palestinians. So yeah, there's, there's that element. And I'm not saying the government of Israel is, is uh holy, you know, they make mistakes and they're, they're trying to protect the country. And many times they do it the wrong way, mm-hmm. but you know, you have to live there to really experience what it is to grow up and, and having, you know, hearing in the news that a kindergarten was taken hostage by terrorists and they're killing children or, 
stuff like that. You know, it's 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 very hard living in those under those conditions and, and raise families and and then for parents to send their children to the army, not knowing if they're going to come back because of some war. Jeez, yeah, yeah, it's not it's not easy. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, if it's not too personal, what role did you play in the army? Like, what was your job? Sure. So it's it's kind of a. Uh, ties ties up to uh, Fada that we're going to talk about later. Um, I served in the Army Intelligence, so I, I studied Arabic in high school, so that kind of prepared me. I knew I'm, I'm, I'm going to end up in the intelligence because of, you know, the language skills. And, um, yeah, my service was pretty much the most amazing thing I've ever done uh, in my life. I, I ended up being, you know, a young officer in, in a unit that really uh, um, protects the country on a national level. Uh, from all kind of threats, and uh, yeah, as a young 19 or 20 year old soldier, I, I was exposed and was involved in, in some amazing things that I can't even even grasp now, 25 years yeah. later, that I was involved in. Wow. So I guess kind of transitioning off of that, what was your first exposure to acting? Uh, it was a kind of slow process. You know, I, I grew up in Israel. Israel is we always kind of on the one hand we it's a Mediterranean country, but we always looked at, at ourselves as the fifty second state of the U.S. because we're you know everything we get over there is from the U.S. Uh, it's kind of a country that is very a good friend of the U.S. and all the mm. films and TV shows that that we grew up on were American. So you know I, I watched all the Little House in the Prairie and uh, and the Muppets and and Love Boat and every every show you can think of from America. So. I was exposed to good acting, you know, American acting from Hollywood from an early age, but I never thought about, uh, you know, being a part of it up until after the, my military service where just as a, as a young student or actually before I even enrolled in university, I, uh, I just needed like a, a job and I found a job as an usher at uh, um, kind of an art house cinema that we have in Tel Aviv called Cinematech. You know, it's kind of the main, there's only one big art house cinema in Tel Aviv and that was it. So just as an usher there, uh, you know, ushering people into the cinema and sitting there doing the films, I got exposed to a lot of like films from the history of cinema, you know, like the major filmmakers, mostly Europeans, yeah. you know, Bergman's and Fellini and all those guys. And I really learned to realize that film is, is an art form. So that really uh, kind of made me decide, you know what, let me go study film. So yeah, I originally wanted to be a film director, uh, not an actor, but uh, yeah, I was attracted to, to the world of film and I indeed went to uh, uh, the Tel Aviv University Film School. And that was, again, a process during the process of doing my own short films. I, I always found myself showing my actors how I want them to do the scenes and how I want them to act. I realized after a while, wow, I actually like being in front of the cameras uh, maybe more than being behind them. Oh. So, uh, yeah, eventually I kind of that clicked and I, re I decided, no, let me be an actor. I did some commercials there in Israel at the time. There were only five agents. So you could just, you know, go up to one of them and say, hey, I, I studied film. Uh, can I be an actor now? And can you represent me? And I said, sure. So they sent me to a bunch of auditions and I, I nailed some of them and did some commercials. And then I, I decided, wow, let's take it a step further and really study acting seriously. And that's when I decided to come back to New York in 2000 and study acting at the Lee Strasberg Institute. Wow. What a journey. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So at what point, you know, through your acting gigs, where you're like, wow, this could actually be a viable career where I can actually make enough income to support myself annually as an actor. What would you say was the role that really kind of made you feel that way? Well, you know, it, it was, I have to say it was only uh, after moving to L.A. because, you know, I spent 13 years in, in New York uh, studying at the, st the school. And then, you know, 
doing theater in New York and some indie films and this and that, some commercials. Mm-hmm. But it was very uh, tough in New York to, like you say, make make a living out of it. I always had like a, a day job at, on the side and uh, at at the Strasbourg School where I, I studied. So I was always close to the business, but uh, yeah, it was still a day job. Uh, but only after moving to LA and, and really uh, that really um, the amount of roles that I'm I'm good for I could go for really opened up for me and uh, also the world of uh, voiceovers like you know Fauda like uh, ADR you know using all my languages for uh, voiceovers for films and TV shows uh, so that really opened up for me when I moved to LA and that kind of uh, I kind of went up a notch my uh, quality of life and also my career so eventually I, I finally reach the place where I can uh, actually live off of it. Wow. So, you know, before we get to Fauda, you'd mentioned all of your language. How many languages do you know? So I speak Hebrew and Arabic, and then I'm pretty good in German, French, and Russian. Wow. That is quite the catalog of languages. So, you know, Fauda presents a two-sided story, including the story of a commander of an undercover Israeli unit, the Israeli Special Forces, operating inside Palestinian territories, and his team who are hunting down Hamas terrorist Abu Ahmed. On the other side of the fence, the life of Abu Ahmed and his family, who has thus murdered 143 Israelis, will never accept the state of Israel and will continue jihad for as long as it takes. Now, the show was recently brought over to Netflix and had the addition of voiceover work in different languages. First off, how did you hear about the show and what was the audition process like? So, you know, I heard about the show being Israeli and, you know, uh, having Israeli friends and some actors that are on the show. I heard about it and I kind of, ah, shit. I wish I could audition for it, mm-hmm. uh, but even though I'm Israeli, if you see, if you know how I look, I look completely European. I'm like I have blonde yeah. hair, eyes, so I don't get cast often as Israeli, especially not in those roles because these guys, uh, you know, need to look like Arab people, so they're usually all dark. But um, yeah, I heard about it, and, and then I started watching it on Netflix, and it blew me away because it was so authentic. I, it really resonated with what I know from my military service and the intelligence. I didn't serve in, in a unit exactly like that, but we all work together. So I, I know how real it is. I know everything is there is really authentic. Also, the Arabic they all, they all speak is superb. Uh, so wow. everything, you know, I've seen a lot of you know espionage shows, and you just feel ah, it's not the real thing. But this show is the real thing, and they also what what's unique about them? They don't show only the Israeli side. They they show both sides and how complicated this conflict is. Definitely. So what were some of the challenges that you face in acting through voice only for someone else's physical performance on screen? Well, you know, it wasn't uh, that hard because the actor that I did uh, the voice of, um, it's a Cohen. He's a great actor and I kind of got to know him now through Facebook. We chat a little bit, but you know, he's a great actor and he's just, uh, I just watched his performance again and again and again. He's very, very precise, very real. And, you know, it's actually he, you know, on the show, he plays the Captain Ayub, the kind of interrogator that works with this unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he actually says he, and he speaks a lot of Arabic in the show mostly because he, he interrogates the Arab people that are being brought to his interrogation room. But he actually claims he doesn't speak Arabic at all. Uh, so he just learns the Arabic by road. But he's excellent. His Arabic is excellent. So the main challenge was just to kind of uh, keep up with his level of Arabic. And, you know, I mean, Again, it's been 25 years since I spoke Arabic so fluently. Uh, but just keep up with his level and matches, um, you know, lips moving and matches tone and all that. And really, like, um, not only nail his nuanced performance, but really match with what we see on the picture. 
but yeah, thanks for him being a, such a great actor. It wasn't uh, that difficult. So what language specifically then were you doing for the voiceover? So we did both uh, Hebrew and Arabic. So for some reason, okay. Netflix decided all the Hebrew they wanted to dub into English with a Hebrew accent. And all the Arabic, I guess, to differentiate from American audiences that probably don't know the, the difference when they speak Hebrew and Arabic, they kept the Arabic as Arabic. So we dubbed all the Arabic into Arabic again. Um, wow. Yeah, so I got to speak Hebrew and English with an Israeli accent on the show. Interesting. That's so, like, I mean, I guess it's kind of unique because it does add to the authenticity if you're watching it dubbed for them to actually not sound American, right? To have that accent so that it adds a little bit more realism to yeah. that. Yeah, so yeah. again, having been involved in, you know, army intelligence, you know, what was it like with this being involved in the story finally now doing voiceover work, given the similarities that you've discussed on the show with real life operations? Yeah, it was great because I know I kind of felt proud to be a part of this show and bring it to the world. And it, it, it's really a show that resonates with me, with me, uh, really, um, a lot because again, it's, it, it reminds me of the work he used to do as young soldiers in the army, trying to protect the country, and also how how complicated that situa whole situation is, the whole Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's you know a lot of things. Again, sitting here watching what we get through the media, you think, oh, it's just yeah, let Israel get out of there and everything will be fine, or let the Palestinians, you know, move uh, to Jordan, everything will be fine. But it's not. It's not. It's so complicated because these two people are completely intertwined. Uh, uh, with each other territorially, like geographically, but also uh, culturally and, and in every aspect. Like, you know, half of Hebrew has Arabic words in it and vice versa. Our, you know, Palestinians use Israeli words and then Israeli money. And it's so intertwined, and, but mainly geographically. So even if you want to separate these two kind of two cousin people, completely separate them physically, it's impossible right, right by now because they're so... There's all these villages intertwining in the other side territory. It's, it's insane. So um, long, long story short, it was kind of reminded me of, you know, my Israeli roots it was nice to be a part of the show and, and be reminded of this work that we used to do. But also it reminds you of the complexity of the issue. And, you know, now I don't know, 70 years later after, after the conflict really began, it, we don't see the end of it. It just goes on yeah. and on. Yeah. Well, and you know, with it having a Netflix release, I mean, I've actually watched episodes myself here in the United States. And mm -hmm. so I do feel like being a part of something that really does, you know, and again, speaking on the authenticity, especially coming from you, who's been involved in similar, you know, operations like that, mm -hmm. it definitely, I feel like has reached a bigger audience. And maybe now, even though people do watch, you know, the news media in watching a show like this and knowing how authentic it is, can maybe have a better understanding of the complexity of that situation, so. Yeah, I even, you know, I, I kind of follow some of the actors uh, who, who are now like, you know, Leo Raz uh, leads on the show who are now like big, like, like this show propelled them to like international stardom. They're like not getting, you know, offers from Hollywood and all that, which is great. But I, I you know, I follow them on social media and, and he, he always writes that he, he has a lot of actually people from the Arab world uh, contacting him and comment, you know, commenting on his posts and saying, Wow, thanks for your show. Now we understand you, the people of Israel, better. Now we understand that it's not just you being the, you, yeah, you being the bad guys in Palestine and being, being the, you know, the, the victim here. We understand now that it's all, it's a bigger, compl more complex um, situation. Well, that's an even bigger, you know, audience yeah. reach there. Wow, that is yeah. crazy. I did not even think about that. Yeah. 
So moving forward, I'd love to talk about your recent role as Dr. Wilhelm Bruca on Stargate Origins. The show follows a young Catherine Langford as she embarks on an unexpected adventure to unlock the mystery of what lies beyond the Stargate in order to save the Earth from darkness. Firstly, are you a science fiction fan? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not a hardcore fan, uh, I have to admit. Um, I, I always loved, you know, good science fiction movies, you know, uh, like, um, you know, Blade Runner and uh, yeah. Oblivion and, you know, um, even, you know, Odyssey 2001. And, uh, so I, I always loved good science fiction movies, but I wasn't like a, a hardcore fan, a hardcore fan following, you know, all the Star Trek and Stargate. So this kind of I had to kind of go back and watch rewatch the first movie to remind myself. Oh yeah, I actually like this kind of uh, films. Wow. So in going back, did you like you know again Stargate Origins is kind of a precursor to the Stargate film that started the whole franchise. So in viewing that, were you a fan of the original film or? I, I was very much so because you know actually tying back to the Israeli connection, you no know, Milia Vital who plays the love interest of James Spader mm. in the film. She's an Israeli actress, and that was her big, uh, first big Hollywood role. You know, she, she was an actress in Israel. She was really good. People knew her, and then she went to Hollywood, and then she was kind of, you know, waiting tables. Then, boom, all of a sudden, she landed this film. So I remember watching this film in the cinema in Israel, and everybody was excited. Wow, Milia Vital, because she plays a pretty big role there. Yeah. So we were all kind of proud. Wow, she made it to Hollywood and into Stargate. So, yeah, I, I, I love the, the first movie. I, I especially again because of her, but also it was a great movie. So I was really excited to see it again now and see that, wow, I'm actually, I'm kind of part of the story now. Well, I would say you're definitely part of the story. I mean, you're in every single episode. So, uh, <laughs> um, so how did you hear about the role? I think it was from my, my manager. You know, it was, it was really a build in, uh, in first place as a kind of low budget web series, something about World War II. And I always liked World War, World War II and, everything related to it. So I, um, I think they submitted me and I, nobody knew what, of course, nobody knew it was Stargate. It had a different kind of code name they used. And really it was, we all thought, oh, it's just like a web series you know, on YouTube or something, low budget and uh, something nobody ever heard about. And yeah, so there, there wasn't a lot of excitement in the beginning because just because we mm-hmm. didn't know uh, until literally just kind of a, there were were three rounds of auditions. So I think only in the third round of auditions they actually revealed out oh, that this is actually going to be Stargate Origins. Yeah. Well, and then I think another thing too is like yes, technically it is considered a web series, but right. in all seriousness, it's really a series that was built to obviously facilitate and kind of expand upon the franchise, but also to launch their new you know Stargate Command, the website. And so yeah. it's not really something that's on YouTube. And as you had said, you had thought it'd be low budget. But if you watch the series, it's really high production value. It's no different than any television series that would be like on sci-fi or any other right. major network. Yeah. And, you know, in, in a way, Netflix and Amazon and Hulu are all web series. Exactly. But yeah, it's, it's a different level. It's a, it's a major studio-backed uh, series, streaming series, let's say. So getting more into your character on the show, Dr. Wilhelm Bruca is the chief occultist to Adolf Hitler and has spent years scouring the black market all over the world for relics and information pertaining to the Stargate and alien contact with ancient Egypt. How did you prepare for the role? So, you know, I um, initially they told me once I they revealed that once I got the role and revealed it's going to be Stargate Origins, they said that his character is going to be based on Rommel, which is, you know, the Nazi 
military, the, the highest uh, commander in North Africa, you know, who fought for the Nazis in North Africa. Yeah. So I did a, a lot of, a ton of research about him and, you know, kind of uh, learned his story and, you know, how he looked like and how he dressed and all that. And, and then when I came pretty late in the game, when I came, for, we had two days of rehearsals and like a costume outfitting. Um, and then they told me, oh, we decided to change it completely. He's not going to be based on Roma. And then they gave me this kind of white evening uh, dress, you know, kind of a jacket that the Nazis had for like galas and special events, which is completely, it looks like, like a tuxedo or something. Completely yeah. Doesn't feel like a, badass Nazi, you know, <laughs> fight trenches. So that kind of completely threw me off. And I said, guys, are you sure? Like, really? I feel like a bar mitzvah kid. I was like, you know, especially <laughs> when I fight and it's kind of nice, nice preppy jacket. I felt like I'm some kid going to bar mitzvah. And then eventually I kind of gave him the idea, guys, this is, he's not going to be a scary Nazi wearing this. And so we went back to actually the black SS uniform that eventually Brooke has, is wearing. Mm-hmm. So it was a, the process, kind of everything kind of shifted. Once we settled on the, oh, he's an SS guy, uh, you know, an occultist, uh, I did research on that because, you know, the Nazis actually had a, a unit called the Annen Erde, which was a special department under Rommel, uh, under uh, Himmler, that was in charge of researching uh, the occult and, uh, you know, supernatural phenomena. So they were really interested in all that. Uh, so they had a, a special department of the Nazi party uh, or you know, the Nazi operations uh, in charge of that. So they had real people doing this kind of work, researching all kind of Egyptian artifacts and all kind of clues in the past, you know, for uh, terrestrial, extraterrestrials coming to Earth, you know, aliens and all that stuff. So I, I dug into, and it's there's so much on the web uh, about it, you know, the Anand Arabian, the work of the uh, occult, Nazi occultists. So I, I started researching that and, really uh, get to dig deep into, wow, all this world of uh, kind of kind of matching Stargate, all the Egyptian, yeah. the, you know, artifacts, and even before Egypt, you know, other culture that had all kind of depiction of what could look like aliens landing and all, and, and, you know, flying saucers and all that stuff. Would you say that that's probably one of the more interesting aspects since taking on the role is finding out that there really was like this real life kind of parallel situation going on with the Nazis and the fact that they were researching this? Yeah, I mean, I almost, almost literally made me want to go back there. Oh, can I be part of, can I work for these guys for a little bit? Because, you know, they weren't like, you know, mastering, killing people. And, you yeah, know, it was a different division. Yeah, they were like scientists and like archaeologists. So it was really fascinating. I, I, I'm still fascinated by it now. I want, you know, I really wanted, oh, if I could just, uh, you know, work for these guys for a week or two, just see what they're working on. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so I guess the question would be, prior to working on Stargate and going down this massive rabbit hole into extraterrestrial research, were you a believer of UFOs? And if not, are you now a believer in UFOs having done all this research? You know, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know if I'm a real believer in UFOs, but I do think, I do think that almost every culture has like an esoteric part to it. And almost every culture or every people on earth depict in some way or, or another um, you know, meetings with other creatures, other beings that seem to be from not from Earth. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, even in in a you know Hebrew Bible, you know the 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 Old Testament is you know depictions of uh, Nephilim, which means like giants or people that were or the creatures that really were really like huge, like giants. Yeah. Uh, and who knows? I mean, maybe they they mean maybe they didn't 
they weren't from Earth. Maybe they came from other planets. So I'm definitely more open to the idea of, you know, that we're not alone in the galaxy and there's other uh, other uh, beings out there that might have visited here. Definitely. So I do have a question for you. I mean, again, we had talked earlier in this show about your, you know, being Israeli, serving in the army. And obviously, as an actor, you have to be able to kind of set aside those things and really still be able to get into any role. Was it hard or challenging for you to play a Nazi officer? Again, we talked about how this particular guy wasn't necessarily the one that was involved in massacres, was more a researcher. But was that challenging at all for you? A little bit, you know, because specifically my story, half of my family was killed in the Holocaust by the Nazis. So oh, my, my, yeah, my father's, uh, my father and his parents, my grandparents escaped Poland in 1936. So three years before Hitler conquered Poland. So my father was a three-year-old kid. They escaped Poland to Palestine, you know, which later became Israel. Mm-hmm. And all their family, uh, all their families that were that were left behind were eventually killed by the Nazis. So basically, Jeez. basically my father was, you know, he, he was a, an only kid and he has his parents and they were like kind of orphans. So they had to start their life from, from scratch. And that kind of affected my, my, my dad and my upbringing and actually me in a way. So I'm very aware of that side of the family, you know, and I actually visited Germany and Poland and found all kind of, a, you know, my grandfather's birth certificate and my father's birth certificate oh, wow. in, the, in the archives in Poland. So it's a, it's a very kind of uh, touchy part of my history. But, um, yeah, on the other hand, like you're saying, you know, thank God Brookie wasn't the guy that, you know, I didn't have to depict uh, somebody, you know, yeah. go around and kill people. And also, yeah, it, it was kind of, you know, uh, being in the army myself, I, I just kind of followed that kind of streak, you know, like, oh, yeah, I can play an officer. I've been an officer. I know how he stands. I know how he moves. I know he might be uh, – how he – might might be talking and he just mm. pursuing you know his military task and all that, so I kind of let go of that you know that old not Nazi Jewish aspect of of the story and kind of just focused on you know him being a an archaeologist and an officer and combining these two qualities and just pursuing what he's pursuing. Yeah, exactly. Well, and again, I mean, it is a fictional universe that we're dealing with. Um, And even in looking at the parallels of the reality of it is, you know, this guy would have been in charge of groups that were, like you had mentioned, archaeologists, you know, scientists researching the occult. So it's a little bit different in that regard. Um, Do you have any particular interesting stories that maybe occurred while shooting Stargate Origins, like interesting set stories or? There was a lot of like kind of funny little moments where we, we didn't have like, you know, trailers, you know, the traditional trailers and all that. So we all kind of lounged in a big room. That was our kind of green room, waiting room where we waited to do our scenes. So I actually posted on Instagram the other day. So you would see all kind of weird, you know, you would see on one couch, a Nazi sitting next to an Abedonian next to a Gould uh, princess <laughs> and all everybody on their laptops or phones. And that was kind of normal. So everybody hang out together, all the, you know, the extras and the main actors and all kind of crazy outfits. Uh, so that was fun. Um, uh, I can tell you that one day, I don't know if that's a funny story, but one, uh, we had some challenges because we filmed on a soundstage and, and one day the, the beam on the ceiling cracked overnight. And oh, it was gosh. The ceiling was about to fall in our head, so we had to stop. You know, we had a very grueling uh, nonstop uh, filming schedule. And we had to kind of stop filming and stop everything because we had to figure out, oh, wow, can we continue working in the soundstage? And so for like three days, we were, we were waiting for an engineer to come and actually, you know, sign off on how secure the place is, if we can continue working. 
Yeah, so the, the producer, Matt, you know, kind of brought us all over there to see the beam, and we had this discussion, and he, he described what's going on, and we kind of all kind of, that was actually a kind of moving moment. We all came together, all the cast and crew, and we sat and very calmly spoke about it, and we said, okay, are we comfortable working in these conditions? Everybody said we're, you know, all for one. You know, if one, if even if one person feels uncomfortable, we're all there to support yeah. them. So, as a, as a team, you know, we really felt like a team where, where we'll say, let's wait, let's not work. And eventually we all decided uh, to wait, to wait for the engineer. So we had to stop filming for a day or two until finally he signed off on it. And he said, it's, it's fine. Yeah. And wow. yeah. And yeah. And one last story, I guess, uh, you know, my final scene is kind of a spoiler alert, but you know, I get shot <laughs> many times. So they, they decided to, you know, there's many ways to do the practical special effects of being shot. They decided to go the really old-fashioned way, like they used to do it, I don't know, 50 years ago, of literally uh, inserting, you know, having pouches of blood hanging on my legs under my pants, and then little tubes going into where the, the shot wounds are going to be under my shirt. Uh, and, you know, and I, the, the guy who operates it has to literally pop them, boom, boom, boom. I had the oh, three my shot. gosh. Pop them. I have to act with it. So whenever I feel yeah. one, I have to kind of move my shoulder as if I'm getting shot there. So uh, we all prepared for it, and then when we came to do the shot, and it's a one take, you know, because you have to redress the whole, you know, whole different set of outfits. It takes like an hour. So we knew we would have one shot, and then we go to do the scene. You know, he pops the things, and two of them didn't pop. They had oh, like no. a no mal- malfunction, so only one of them popped. I luckily, in the moment, pretended still with my body as if they did pop. And then they added they added the splurge of blood in uh, post production. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now Stargate Universe got its start back in October twenty eighth, nineteen ninety four, with the release of the film Stargate. Since the film's release, its fan base has grown immensely over the years, spawning two additional films, three television series, a web series, and an animated series. What has been the response from the Stargate community since you took on the role of Dr. Wilhelm Bruca in Stargate Origins? So, you know, I think, I think the response to the whole uh, Stargate Origins idea has been kind of mixed. You know, some of the hard, uh, diehard fans, they were like, oh, we don't want to... Don't, we want to go back to canon, back to the you know linear story. We don't, we don't want to go back in time. We don't like the streaming idea. But you know, I think fans everywhere, especially sci-fi, you know, I mean, Star Trek is going streaming. Everybody's going streaming, and that's going to be the yeah. future. So I have to accept it at some point. But I have to say, uh, at least with me, I'm really honored and lucky that the fans kind of like me and my character, and I really have some good fans and almost friends now, especially on Twitter and Instagram following me and kind of supporting me with whatever I do. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of heartwarming. Their, rea- their reaction is really kind of re- really welcoming. You know, kind of, I'm, I'm almost like a, one of the new kids on the block and they're really yeah. me with open arms. So that's been really, uh, really moving. So with any big franchise, especially one as large as the Stargate universe, you know, conventions definitely come with the territory. Have you gone to any conventions since being cast in Stargate Origins or are going to any? Yeah, I'm, I'm 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 going to one in the UK in November, um, which uh, is called Kalma. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, but it's yeah, it's gonna be gonna have kind of representatives from all the Stargate, you know, incarnations. So I'm I'm really glad to represent Origins there. Oh wow! Excited, yeah, excited for it. And then we're in talks with uh, GateCon in Vancouver, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to go there. And hopefully MGM will give us some. Uh, 
some BTS footage that hasn't been seen before that we could show over there. So yeah, we're definitely pursuing that these options. It's a whole world, new world for me, world of convention. So I'm I'm kind of really excited, uh, you know, to go to try to go to my first one. Definitely, yeah. And I mean, we've had people on the show, especially from The Walking Dead, and they talk about their first experiences at conventions. And it is kind of an interesting experience because you yourself, you know, have seen, I'm sure, the episodes you've been involved in, obviously, every yeah. episode of Stargate Origins first season. So it's kind of interesting when you actually have a fan come up to you and they're like, oh, my gosh, like you're my favorite <laughs> character. or yeah. And it, it's just like a totally different meaning in your mind. It's like, oh, man, this actually really validates that a lot of people watch this and that people are fans. So I'm excited for you to experience that for the first time. Oh, yeah. I'm, I, yeah, I'm. thank you. I'm really excited myself because, you know, wherever I go, you know, the grocery store, the gym, nobody knows who I am. So it, it's kind of a weird shift when you go to a place <laughs> where everybody knows who you are. Right. And all of, a sudden, all of a sudden you're like a big deal there where in, in normal life you're like nobody, you know. <laughs> so Yeah. I'm sure it's going to be interesting. Yeah, you won't be able to walk around probably as freely as you normally do. That's for sure. So lastly, I would love to know, are there any um, upcoming projects of yours that you'd like to tell the listeners about? Yeah, actually, in August, I have a a film coming up. I actually went to London uh, last year to film it. So it's a a thriller called uh, Three Seconds. And it's all, uh, funnily enough, British actors playing American roles. So basically, the story is about... a guy who is an undercover uh, FBI agent uh, kind of that infiltrated into the Polish mafia in New York City. Oh, and he wow. had, in order to catch the bad guy, he has to go back to jail undercover. And then at some point his cover is being exposed. So now he's under danger of getting, you know, of the Polish mafia being after him in jail and he has to ex- escape the jail. So I uh, got lucky enough to play the role of the kind of American Polish lawyer to the head of the Polish mafia. Uh, so yeah, I flew to London. We filmed it all there. So I had a nice little, uh, I have a small role, but I have a nice scene with Rosamund Pike. If you know who she is, she, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, she was the lead in the gone girl. And this year she has a lot of, a bunch of films coming out. Um, so yeah. And you know, she's, she's an A-list. I think she was nominated for an Oscar for a gone girl. Yeah. So yeah, I was lucky enough to work with her and have a scene with her and see how she works. So I'm, I'm really excited. Hopefully, you know, my role won't, be cut out of the movie like sometimes happens but um hopefully i'll be in there and uh, so i'm excited to see it coming out in definitely august. well when it does when we get nearer to august we'll definitely have to share that out on our social media feeds just so people who've listened to this episode and want to see it they can figure out where to buy tickets and stuff like that to see the film yeah that'll be great so. thank you well, thanks so much to Alam Orion for joining me on the show today. As Again, you can catch him in the recently aired first season of Stargate Origins at StargateCommand.co or in the upcoming thriller in August, Three Seconds. Uh, thanks again, Alam. Hey, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me and talking about all these uh, my history and interesting stuff. And yeah, hopefully the listeners will get a kick out of it. Well, that's the end of episode 19 of the Film Revere podcast. Be sure to show your support for the FR podcast by leaving a review on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you happen to listen to the show. Another great way to show your support is by getting a free audiobook and 30-day free trial from Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. Lastly, my guest for next week will be Michael A. Macrae, who recently directed the comedy film Fishbowl California. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Film Revere podcast. Have a great week.